0: Well, this is the uh, last part of the program this evening followed by Prashad and um, I guess I should mention that tomorrow is a sacred day for us as well. We honor the uh, appearance in the world of our personal broad, Gordi Vaishnavism of the Western world, Sheshi Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. So we'll have a, some discussion about that, the significance of that and his contribution and so forth. And um, there will be fasting in the morning and some kirtan and big feast uh, midday, which will be the official close of the week-long program. And tonight I'll speak a little bit, and uh, answer some questions. I'll try to address your question, Chrissy, and uh, ask for other questions, and then there will be some some light uh, prashad at about 10 o'clock. So you asked a question about the um, Archan, it's called. Archan is the name for the worship of the um, Arch-Abhutar, it's a kind of Abhutar, a kind of a crossing from up to down of the Godhead and through the medium of the lineage of, of gurus. As the idea. So, let's say you have a great spiritual realization in your heart and you're living in a, in a cave and you want to share it with other people and you start to talk about it and so forth. Then some people can rally around that to some extent and so forth. But if you were able to, like, erect a the building and, the, and physical kind of manifestations of that because people are physically you know oriented rather than spiritually so to speak naturally then that holds some great promise perhaps for bringing people into your idea, your conception, your, your experience and so forth so the whole idea of a temple is, is something like that um, the temple, if you will, and the manifestation of the Lord God, the Godhead within, in the heart of the sadhu, in order to express it and make it accessible to others, comes outside in the form of a temple, often, in our particular tradition, that's, that's common. And then, um, there is the building, and you can see it, and the uh, it's a kind of an um, expression and manifestation of that realization. And then, uh, the, the sadhu has his or her ishta, his, the, 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 the let's say, to use the term avatar, is their choice of their, amongst Vishnu avatars, so let's say it's Krishna or, uh, Radha and Krishna. So then, he erects a temple and kind of the idea is the deity comes out of his heart and stands on the altar and then makes himself the deity uh, accessible to a greater number of people but the people don't speak the language of the deity remember he's residing in the heart of the sadhu and so the sadhu speaks the language of love and from the heart and so there's the the deity is is taking his place there it said yam bremanjuna churita bhakti vilocchaneena sandasareva rayeshu vilokayanti yam sham sundaram acinte gunasvarupam govinda madi purusham tamaham vadhame so when the eyes become tinged with a salve ointment of love, then with those kind of eyes one can see Shamsundar is another name for Krishna. Sham beautiful Sham beautiful black boy Sham in the heart who has Achintaguna Swarupam, who has inconceivable attributes, achintavuna Swarupam whose nature, whose form is Inconceivably beauty and beautiful, and has inconceivable qualities, and so he's drawn so much into the beauty of Shamsuna that he has no no capacity to turn outward and towards sense objects and so forth. When Krishna dances in the courtyard of his heart, then his senses become like inert in terms of reacting to the outside world. So. Anyway, to, like I say, to celebrate this, he, he makes the temple. And, and from his heart, the deity comes on the altar. And the deity is then accessible to a wider circle of friends. And um, at the same time, the friends don't speak the language of love. They're kind of learning the language of love. And so what we're talking about is kind of a, an interim between the spiritual inner experience beyond the dualities of the, of the mind and the senses and the world and the mind and the senses, an interim realm where there are material elements like buildings and wood and so forth, when the deity is made of stone or metal or paint and what may be the case, apparently, ostensibly, and these are all material elements but they have their origins somewhere else in eternity, in, in the spiritual heart of the sadhu. So they've come out, but they're they're visible with material eyes, they're touchable and so on. So if they look, you know, temporary perhaps, I mean, they could uh, break or something, the deity, for example. Someone might think, um, and, uh, you know, rightfully so. But... If we trace out their origin, then we see that they are kind of a very, it's a very, it's called archibigra, a very merciful kind of manifestation of the deity. Comes out of the heart in a form that can be, can be handled, so to speak. And one of the ways in the deity can be handled is that the deity doesn't talk very much. Because then again, we don't speak the language. So he may be talking, but we can't hear. But if we could hear, then we'd be busy all day long. Do this, bring me that, that. We'd, be, we'd have no time of our own. So he, he's very merciful because we need time of our own. We're, not, we're still preoccupied, so to speak. We're preoccupied and our minds are distracted. We have attachments and so forth. But the deity comes and stands there and, and um, gives us a kind of a realm of ritual that is something from the material side and something from the spiritual side. It's a meeting place. It's like a meeting point between time and eternity. So at that meeting point, for example, the deity looks temporal, but if you look at the deity and approach the deity through the ritual kind of procedures and so forth, you experience eternality and more. So this is a really interesting junction between the eternal and the temporal, between time and eternity, particular. Manifestation, so we, then we are in time, and so coming from that side, in a form that's like within space and time, and you can, as I say, you can handle, you can touch, you can approach, but then there's a way to do that. And the procedures seem like, well, they're different than how you would talk to another person. You say, Om, and, uh, and, Idam Pushpam, Klingorainam, Naivedam medium putting Krishna and so he 's kind of like a it 's kind of a compromise. You learn this ritualistic language based on mantra and so forth, and the mantra comes from the guru and all the procedures and so forth and then um, through this kind of symbolic language, this symbolic representation of the absolute comes to life or the life that it has comes to life for us, and as I said before it 's very kind of very generous manifestation of the Godhead because if in order to really perceive and experience God, we have to go within rather than without, so to speak then that requires controlling the mind, right? And withdrawing it dharana, dhyana pratyahara, dharana all come before dhyana and dhyana of the time turns into to samadhi so It's not easy to arrive at at all that. There are distractions and so forth. So you can sit down, for example, and meditate on your mantra. And we also do that. We have mantra. We have japa mantra and and, uh, uh, Krishna Nam and Krishna mantra, different mantras, given at the time of initiation. And we give mantras that correspond with the deity and give one an eligibility to participate in this ritualistic uh, realm, so to speak. But it's very generous because, as I say, I mentioned, I think, the other day that You try to sit now and control your mind, so that's not that easy. And uh, you can do with the help of the mantra and concentrate on the mantra and so forth. But, you know, people fall asleep during meditation too. Mm -hmm. And they get distracted by other thoughts. And they're real restless. They have desires, so they're restless. And so they have to get up from sitting. So the deity, there's all kind of procedures that kind of correspond with with, um, for example, uh, classical yogic uh, procedures of you you have to embrace some yama-niyama, you have to do some some buddha-shuddhi, which is like um, pranayama, hmm? to enter the altar, and then um, you have to... An environment is created on the altar where you don't have to try too hard to withdraw your mind, just like you go to sit and do yoga in a quiet place, you know, preferably in the same place, so that you have that that helps to settle the mind. The same place, there's you're not going to have any, anything unexpected happen, and so forth. And uh, so this is a similar idea to the temple. You go in, the door is closed, and and um, there are all types of items there for the. For the service of the deity, so you see a thing and it, it promotes the thought of the deity this is for the deity to smell this is for the deity to see this is for the deity to taste and so forth and uh, and so we may think of something to smell and something to see and something to taste and so forth. but we 're bringing all these items of the senses that normally take us through the medium of the senses us our consciousness to the sense objects and attach us therein and the uh, and so forth, and, and delude us. So here we have all these sense objects that you are in proximity of, rather than having to get away from them, nice smelling incense and beautiful flowers, and they have a scent, and, and the nice foodstuffs cooked, and brought in on a nice uh, decorated plate, and so forth. It looks good, smells good, and these are all... And, and, and the consciousness, then, that this cultivator, is, it's all for the deity... So, all for the de- so you're bringing in all these sensual items, and this is your kind of pratyahara, you're withdrawing your own senses because these are for somebody else. I'm doing it for somebody else. And so we offer the food and there are other procedures, the whole, everything. we Everything you do as a human being almost, uh, we do for the deity. We, we rake the deity, we bathe the deity, we offer different items, toothbrush included, and, and, uh, and um, towels and so forth. And, nice foodstuffs in the different times of the day. We entertain the deity. The deities are, are you know, widescreen here. That's what it is. We come before the deity to be seen and then to perform kirtan song. We sing. The songs are full of his names. His names are connected with different leelas. Transport him and us into those leelas and meditation on them and so forth. And, um, Different songs at different times of the day that correspond with the different times of the day. A day in the life of the absolute, something like that. And we're participating and the day starts over and again and over again. It has a regulation to it, and then there are variations that come and so forth. And one day is his birthday, just like anybody else, you see. And so it's uh, it's 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 very uh, consuming. It's if you go to offer the RT, for example, then you have to pay attention and. You, and you offer the scent, so the scent is being offered with the incense, and for example, and the the sound, ooh, the consciousness being, the, the sound is offered for the ether. And so you're really what you're doing is you're dissolving all these elements: earth, water, fire, air, ether. I mean, solidity, liquidity, um, heat, light, air, space, akash from sounds and so what. You're dissolving all these el- which are the which make up the body and our our kind of covering. You're dissolving them all, and the self is is coming out. And it's a, it's a very intense kind of yoga, but it's very user friendly because as I say you know to sit and not think about sensual things and whatnot, and uh, but rather to, to to be involved with them and offering them and so forth. it's very kind of uh, user-friendly, and everybody likes entertainment, and so, you know, there's singing, there's dancing, there's there's cooking, and it's all yoga, and it's all centered around the deity. And so it's, in, in one sense, it's a little removed from deeply sitting in trance, but not everybody can deeply sit in trance very readily. And again, those that do in the context of bhakti, they get excited too. They get you know that ecstasy. I said is something that needs to be shared and so forth. So the temple and the arch and therefore we sing. So in our lineage, this is one of the things that the gurus do. They establish these kind of temples and altars and so forth. They engage the students in all these procedures. And um, it's, it's not a dry thing at all. It's very experiential. Um, it's, it's very, very powerful. It, it's, it really does consume the mind. You can ask any student of mine that's ever done deity worship, and they'll tell you that was... yeah. That, they really get, a, you know, it, it's kind of a, a buzz from that. You know, they, get, they, get, they get absorbed, actually. It has great potential to absorb. They get experience, that makeup, material makeup of the self, uh, the, of the material self, constituted of earth, water, fire, earth, it actually dissolves to some extent in this this context of this worship, and they feel themselves coming out, hmm? and so it's very very powerful. So they get very attached to the deity, and they cultivate that attachment, and they grow in that, and uh, and uh, they. Uh, they begin to see things then, in relation to the deity. They go shopping for the deity. I mean, that's a pretty friendly kind of yoga. <laughs> People like to shop, you know. It's like oh, let's just shop, something like that. So they go and they, they can they can buy find things that you know, for the deity and so forth. And when they do, also you can throw whatever you want, any amount of money at the deity. It sounds maddening. There was a. One of my gurus, Bhakti Rakyak Dev Maharaj, uh, his guru Maharaj, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasadhyataka, my param guru, they were building a temple in Calcutta. And previous to that, in our tradition, there were no temples outside of the holy places where, like, Krishna appeared in Vrindavan, where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appeared in Navadvip and so forth, or in Puri. All the godis were in these places and they had temples there. And they stayed out of the, you know, the, the cities and... Of course, for years there weren't these kind of cities, but as the British came and, and the Industrial Revolution and so forth, then and, and there were big cities in India. So the, the sadhus, they tended to stay out of these places. But this Bhakti Siddhanta he, he w- decided to go into the city and, and with this kind of feeling that I'm talking about and make a temple there and um, share this kind of idea with um, the, multi- the masses and so forth. So... Anyway, they were building this temple and it was uh, made out of marble which was not that cheap and in those days it was even more expensive and these were sadhus, they didn't have any money. I mean, he just, he spoke and people, and, and, uh, people came and joined him and there's, there's no you know payment there. Whatever you could gather by sharing of your ecstasy ex- and enthusing people would be what you would live on. So there they were in Calcutta, his students, and they were going out Begging to the people to to give funds to build a a temple. And um, so they had no qualms about asking because what they were doing was they were asking people to give up their, really their attachments, themselves. It's a piece of themselves they're giving, right? I mean, where you give your money, you go there and want to see how it's going to be spent and you're going to kind of follow it. So so, um, they were like, Somebody sometimes they get a comment like you know you're throwing all this money you people yoda people are collecting at this like stone you know a marble building and uh, and an altar and a, and a deity, but you know this could be spent in you know so many other ways i mean there's you know you could feed hungry people, you could do this, that and the other thing, and so forth and uh they're, they said well, their, their idea was that the hunger, that's not a stomach problem; it's a consciousness problem. You'll never solve it by just feeding people. Not that people shouldn't be fed as much as possible, but the real solution is not feeding people; it's to change their consciousness. So they're throwing everything at the deity, you know, giving them a silver plate and a marble altar and all this and whatnot, and it was then with the people's possessions which were going into this, were they were being drawn into it also. So it's a, it's kind of like a fire of sacrifice, and you're throwing everything in there. And you, 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 like when we do an initiation, sometimes we do a, a yagya, a homa, fire, and things are thrown in there symbolically. But the idea is you're supposed to be throwing yourself in there. You're, the altar of sacrifice is 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 for you and you've been chosen to, to be sacrificed, something like that. So you throw yourself in and you come out anew in a different fashion. You, you, you. So, um, so this is kind of the idea of the temple. And it's very consuming, as I say. It's very um, absorbing. And the devotees become attached. Eventually they start to see the world and its enjoyable of sorts things. That would gratify their senses as items by which they could gratify the senses of the deity. And as I say, by th- by first kind of sacrifice, Gita says, sacrifice your possessions. They're also you. That's the beginning. And then, the more you sacrifice your possessions, the more you become, it becomes apparent what you are. And that you yourself are a unit of giving. And and you're getting some idea where to give yourself, where to center yourself, such that the greatest uh, remuneration could come, the greatest good can come for others. So the temple, anyway, temple worship is very powerful for that. Um, but, again, it's um, the heart of the sadhu from whom that comes. That's a precious thing to him. He's sharing his heart. So, you know, you don't want to show your heart just to anybody, right? People could trample on it. People could... That's uh you, 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 you kinda of hold that to yourself. So if you do manifest that in the temple, then the Sada be a little cautious who 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 worships the deity. This is my heart I'm placing here on the altar and I wanna see that people understand something about that. So he usually takes some time to win his trust, so to speak, or her trust, the guru's trust, and then and then then be given the mantra I and mean, this is secret and I give it don't tell anybody this. And this is for this is the mantra that Jesus gives you the right to participate and you chant this mantra in this way. He's allowing you entrance into his heart via the altar. And um, and as the devotee starts to get it after a while, the devotee starts to understand actually, Krishna is more present in the heart of the sadhu than he is on the altar. When they don't get it, they think, oh, the deity's over here and, and it's like someone will come in and Sadhu is giving the talk. Someone come in, kind of disturb the talk, and come up to the altar and put a rupee in the box, and, and ignore the sadhu and walk out. So This is a lower, <laughs> lower understanding. <laughs> That's why we, our tradition is sometimes called Vaishnavism. Vaishnav is more, a more full manifestation of the of the deity than the deity. Not that he's the deity, but the deities in his or her heart It's come from there. So gradually, through the deity worship, one starts to figure it out. That, <laughs> wow, it's all coming from here. I should pay attention here. And then this way we, we grow. And eventually, we come to see the, the deity, and for that of the guru, everywhere. Hmm? It means we can get lessons everywhere. The world starts to speak to us. And, and we find that the book we've been learning from, for example... It's like the book of life, you know. It's like it, it's the the world starts to say to you the same things the book is saying. You realize this is a living thing. It's not, and the deity, the universality of the deity starts to be experienced. One starts to see the deity in everybody's heart. So he has he has regard for everybody because his deity's there in the heart, potentially in kind of an abstract way, that person hasn't brought the deity in there themselves by love, but nonetheless, he's with them nonetheless, waiting you know, for them to turn. So it's a big subject, but that's something about the arch avatar, and that particular type of avatar, very, very generous. Again, it's, it's, it's a kind of a mixture between material elements and the spiritual, so it enables us, coming from the material side, to kind of get a grip on it, a footing, in that realm of ritual, from which we can go from a symbolic kind of representation of that reality to the direct experience, so i 'll give you another idea. The deity standing there is like like a like a picture, a frame of the movie of the deity 's life, and so you meditate on the one frame and you sing songs at different times of the day that correspond with that time and sentiment of the deity as revealed by the Guru. He thinks like this at this time. Thinks, feels like this at that time. So you sing this song and so forth. And then that still picture starts to turn into a movie, live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the deity is coming like in a still form, but from, from mantra-mayi upasana comes swarasika. It starts to flow in, in the heart and then the whole lila... Expand the deed. He has a whole leader, and and we are on it, and we don't know it. <laughs> we are on it. He he brought us here. He's in our heart. He brought us here and to hear such things and so forth. And we may doubt them and so on. But one who has eyes to see knows. Oh, that's not how these people got here, and oh, he's got some plan for them, and and I should assist them. They're all his friends, distant friends, perhaps. So on. The deity's friends have come. I have to take care of them. So they think like that at the, at the monastery. So it's very much the center here in, uh, in, in, in all respects. And we're growing food for the deity. We're milking cows for the, the deity. The cows are the deity's cows. So they're worshipable by us. We have the idea that like the trees live here. They're not going anywhere. We might go somewhere. So they're more permanent residents, and we have worshipped them. They're more well-situated. The inanimate objects are like stunned in ecstasy. That's why they're not moving in this place. And uh, our minds may be flickering. We may go somewhere else. So we're on a lower level and we should regard them. This way all the inanimate objects and, then, and the deities, animals, the deities, plants, and so forth. So we become, like I guess we step from the center of the deities back to the circumference and everyone's in front of us and so forth. And... Uh, It's a worshipable kind of life, if you will. And that is what animates the world. That's what brings it to life. Because I said, as you step back, rather than exploit it, you give it a chance to have a life of its own. And it has a purpose. And the purpose is is in God's mind. So when you start to facilitate that, that's why Goloka said to be everything's conscious, it's alive. That's how you bring the world alive. Goloka, Goloka. Grihete Goloka. By Bhakti Vanu said, and my house became Goloka. That's the lila abode of Krishna. I saw my house, he said, Grihetegoloka. I was doing all these things. Madhava Toshani, serving the deity for the Toshani, for the satisfaction of Madhava I was living. I made a room for him in my house. I offered these things. I sang these songs. One day he said, I saw my house turned into Goloka. Hmm? The whole thing came alive And Leela all expanded I saw my place in the Leela, hmm? And I'm not coming out, he said hmm? He said, I'm not coming back And that small idea of family and friends and enemies And likes and dislikes I'm never coming out Lost there, so it's big It's... Uh, it's, uh, you know, they don't have all this philosophy just to worship a stone. So It's more than that. <laughs> it may look like a stone, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And it's also very user-friendly and natural. We have a kind of an aversion in one sense to this kind of worship and so forth, but we have a natural proclivity towards it also. People worship others, I mean, whether it be, whether it be movie stars or... Musicians, or I used to live in San Francisco years ago. We had a temple there, and this was was for a few years. And it was the during the years when the San Francisco Forty ers were winning a lot of the football games, and the, the town would just go nuts. Across the street from us was a was a sports bar. We had a temple across the street from a sports bar. <laughs> and so Sunday we'd have a, a program, you know, discussions like this and kirtan and so forth, and they'd be over there like rooting for the 49ers, you know, just going nuts. And then and, and we were worshiping a deity, and they're, whatever, worshiping the screen and, and so forth. And then they had a thing where the 49ers were moving to a new stadium, something like that. I forget all the details, but... And so, in order to pay for the stadium, they were selling the squares of the astroturf, you know, from the other where they where They had walked with their cleats <laughs> and left the dust of their feet, and people were buying that and framing that and put. And they thought we were crazy, you know, across the street <laughs> for doing similar, you know, things. You know, so it's not, you know, foreign tendency uh, to us to. Worship to to attach ourselves to great people to, you know, and so we need. But hear of something about uh, Krishna, for example, to to appreciate the, the, the kind of enthusiasm that you see. This this is a day now in India that the, this is the biggest holiday in India. Millions of people going to temples and worshiping. Half of them don't understand it as deeply as what we're talking about here either. But it's a it's a it's a very uh, a exciting event I mean there 's a lot of people in India. This might be the biggest like holy day in the whole you know world in terms of quantity of people. Uh, India is like you know the mother of worship that 's what it is. I mean they worship everything there everybody the older brothers a guru, the fathers a guru, you know the teacher musician uh, music teachers a guru, the land is worshipable, the trees and everything It's it 's like it 's really the mother of worship. India, you know, the sacred cow and people don't get it, you know, what? what's, uh, why don't, you know, they're going hungry and they're worshipping a the cow, it's a whole space, it's a whole consciousness and of course it's eroding, you know, with the influence of the West and industrialization and so forth and that's a shame to see but it, as far as on this planet, this is a, this is a rich place, rich in real, real sense, you know, if India had only gone in a different direction politically or something, they'd follow like the Gandhian environmentally, you know, uh, sound kind of approach. Would be how, how popular it would be today, you know, rather than, you know, narrow... I'm not a politician, but I know a little something about it. Took the throne and, uh, you know, everything had the stamp of Britain after Britain was left, you know. He was a little intimidated by the Western... Uh, call of, uh, for progress. Well, that's a little deceptive. What is that progress? Nobody is, everybody's still dying. That problem hasn't been solved. And that won't be solved by any acquisition. If you want to solve that problem, you, that's, you've got to turn to philosophy and more. And there is a philosophy, anyway, that, that, that speaks about solving the problem, and it's real. Because as I said, it's, it, it, it advocates dying now to kill your ego. And that's what life, your self is really about. And if you do that, if you can die, then die to live, as Hegel said. What, you can die and live a very different life. You can experience now the dear eternal I mean, not just in the theory, you can experience it. Even in glimpses, you can experience, I live forever, this is incredible. And then they, they may fade from that, but the experience doesn't... It remains with you. You know, there's a knowing. These things are very grounding. Even devotees that can't speak... I can speak fairly well about this, and I have some practice, and, of course, a good audience helps. That's 50% at least, but some may not be able to articulate the thing that well, but they're grounded, and they have some experience. They're not going away. So it's very powerful, and... Um, and these kind of days you know they they they're meant to like be very absorbing and give us some some glimpse of that that we might pursue that every day make it our our life so a big day and in india is a big wonderful place worshipable place we are you know rational westerners and we have to doubt everything and everything has to be explained to us ad nauseum, you know all details and, and um and all this stuff doesn't lend to that that much. I mean, to an extent, but um, anyway, worship. Worship means to give. So let's give it another, you know, another term. Because unfortunately, I guess there have been worshipable people that didn't turn out to be that worshipable, whether they be political or, you know, you worship this. this musical figure for so long and then you met him personally and he turned out to be a jerk you know or, so there are a lot of disappointments out there but um, we're worshipers by nature we're, we're units of giving propensity we're always giving ourselves somewhere that's what we do and where we give ourselves that's what defines us so it's reasonable to to use your intelligence think where I can give where I should give myself and what, will, what I will become as a result of that Here's an option, yoga, and in bhakti yoga, then the object of the giving is Bhagwan, and Bhagwan ultimately comes um, to Krishna. Krishna is called Swam Bhagwan. Bhagwan means like who's here, who's all attractive, Bhagawan, who has everything. Like I said, like the man who has everything, the person who has everything. So that's what Bhagwan means. Van means to possess. So bhaga... It means all wealth, all everything, everything, all opulence. This is a kind of a definition of God given in some of the sacred texts. But Swayam Bhagavan, this is a, an adjective defined in Krishna, Swayam. Swayam means Swayam, Swa. <laughs> it means like uh, like when Bhagavan wants to be himself, Swayam Bhagawan. He wants to get off the throne and be himself, I and mean, he wants to be around. You know, love requires some equals. No one's equal to God, but that's his problem. Mm-hmm. Again, we're back to the, you know that kind of a thing. So, Swami mean, he gets off the throne and he wants to get close to people, where there can be pranay some equal, equal dealings, where they can tell crack jokes about him and he can laugh at it. You know, I mean, think about it. being a king is not not. The... People, we all want to be. And to one extent of it, be somebody, be something. There's a drive, for, there's a rajaguna, to be something. So, materially speaking, a king. Of course, we don't have monarchies these days and so forth, but anyway, the idea is there. In, ancient, in the Bhagwat, for example, this text about Krishna, we have all these different kings. What's the stories of all these kings? What does it have to do with the, the point of the book? If you look carefully, you see so many of these kings. It's the epitome, It was, it was thought the epitome of material success and attainment and all these stories of how they're disappointed and the the problems with it and then they're giving up their kingdoms Bharat giving up the kingdom and so forth and and India is named after Bharat it used to be called the king the emperor he gave it all up all these stories they're all talking about the futility of material acquisition this is what they're talking about the futility of trying to be somebody we should try to not be somebody but try to be ourselves (laughs) And what we are, as small as we are, is as good as we are. as Small as beautiful. We're beautiful. Trying to be big, that's the problem, because there is somebody that's big. And we can't compare. Like I said the other day, if you take a small positive magnet and you put it before a big positive magnet, that small magnet is going to go way in the other direction. So we're like that. If we push and try to control and assert ourselves and be, you know, something big... From the material estimation, which is so small anyway, I mean, time will tell you that it's nothing. But anyway, we're deluded and we don't know where to go, so we go in that direction, try to be something. So we're pushing, but Bhagawan means pusher. That's what it means also: the pusher, the sustainer, the the, the nourisher, the center. So if you push positively against that force, you're just going to be repelled. But as small as you are, if you take the negative side, and I mean that in a positive sense—humility, self-abnegation—you get drawn into just like a little, little tiny piece of negative magnetic uh, rock next to a huge magnet, just like that. No time, something. So the more we move in a negative way, the more we—the the sympathy of Bhagawan is is, is is drawn out. You know the, the best devotees are depicted, the highest devotees, the most intimate devotees, I should say, with with Bhagavan Shri Krishna, are the, the milkmaidens They're depicted as being an uneducated, simple village girls and dependent kind of disposition. And he's the, just like a man maybe in old times, maybe now, to, attracted to a, a girl who says can't get the thing done. She really can, but she says I can't fix this. Could you help me with that? And some need, and he's all fix that for her. She sure. needs help, you yeah. know. I'm, I'm, Something like that. So he's this. It's a crude example. Forgive me, but anyway, we have to. We take on a negative kind of a feminine disposition, prakriti, in relation to the purusha. We'll be drawn in very naturally. This is the idea of of, uh, of bhakti. So, yeah, we want to be somebody. It's um, um, to make our make our stand, so to speak, and. To make our mark in a in, in world, it's futile. It's, it's, it's a hopeless cause. That's what being means. Hare Krishna, I give up. <laughs> I give up. Hare Krishna, that's, that's not. There is somebody. Now, if I could be the friend of that somebody, then be my position? Suddenly, I'm insignificant, I become the friend of the person who's everything. And, and this is incredible. This is what this talking about. Know, you know how many souls there are? There's an infinite number. How many is that? <laughs> We're just like a tiny, one soul, one spark from the fire of, uh, of uh, Krishna, of consciousness, the, the source. And this source, as I said, being ecstasy personified, wants to get off this throne. He has a position as God, too. He's the pusher, and the Bhagawan, and so forth. But he wants to be himself, just like, you know, you try it, you get it, you, you become a king, okay? You become a king. And then what happens? There you are, you're the king. So... You get up in the morning, and the king has risen, you know, God, when you stop it, you know after a while it 's just oh god i got to go through this. The king will now sit on the court, and uh, the, 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 the assistants will come to do, do, do and read what happened today king and he 's got to go through all this, all this formalities and everything, and he 's just sitting there when is this going to be over? I would know, like to be back in my chambers and just relax with. You know, so with where I can be myself. So there's a side to Bhagwan where he wants to be himself. Everybody worships me. I know they should. You know, that's that's the law of things because I'm great and they're dependent upon me and I'm their sustainer and I'm maintaining them and they appreciate it. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I know, you know. God, I wish I could just have a friend out of the whole thing, you know, somebody to talk to. It. These people, are, they got me up here, you know, in the balcony. I'd like to be down there on the stage, you know, where things are happening, something like that. <laughs> I'm frozen up here, suspended. Nobody can get close to me. That's a problem. And I'm full of ecstasy. And then they they get a part of it. They're worshiping me formally, and they're appreciated, and there's gratitude and so forth. But I want... This is this. Is, this is, I want to I want to share it intimately. So that is when Bhagwan becomes Swayam, That is Krishna, Swayam Bhagwan. So he hasn't got a big crown, a big, big throne, and, 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 and no, he's got a peacock for his crown. That's all. He's decorated with the with the clay, different color clays of the of the Badabun ground that Ruth bought, and he's decorating himself and his, his his friends and so forth. They're herding cows and. I mean, cow herding is not like being a king. There's quite a bit of difference between being, being a cow herd person. I mean, yeah. it means like, you know, living in the, the jungle, practically, in the pasture, in the forest, taking care of cows. It's not a, you know, cows are dirty. They give pure milk, but they, they, they really, you know, it's like a lotus comes out of the mud, you know, it's beautiful. So the cow's beautiful and the big heart and, and giving, you know. It's called Golok. Where Swayam Bhagawan is, it's called Golok, Planet of Cows. It said, it's like, it's 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 there's talks there's talk there of oceans of milk. It means ocean of affection. Cows are personification of affection. You treat the cow nice, and they just give milk, and it's so nice, and I mean real milk from the cow, so nutritious and so nourishing and so forth. And they're giving it for just some grass which grows, you know, anywhere, practically big givers. in this Goloka is depicted like this, like like it's uh, like a, almost like surrounded, Vishnu, uh, his plant surrounded by an ocean of milk. It means ocean of affection. The, the place is just overflowing. When we talk about it, it starts to look small. Krishna, got a form, he's got friends, there's a place, seems to be a geographical location. So in our minds we start to think, it's getting small, it's getting back to like forms and names and the confining nature of material existence. I thought we were getting away from and going to going to Brahman, going to the spirit, the absolute consciousness and it's all broad and spacious and none of these restrictions by forms and and it's not any, it's everywhere so there's no particular geographical place. and the, So if, look, we're not talking about the geographical place, what we're talking about is a development in terms of affection and intimacy. You see, that, that's what's accommodating, not just space. We feel constrained here because we're a soul or a consciousness and we're confined in a material body. We're starting to realize that as a human being. We get, we, as we come in it's kind of a spiritual evolution to human life, we start to feel like, God, I could do anything. I mean, birds don't feel like, God, I could fly in the... Why can't I go into the water like those fish? And fish are leaping out, why can't I fly as high as that, as that bird? They don't think like that. Consciousness is there, but the, the limitations of the body are what they are. The limitations of our human body are a little different. They're a little expanded. We have less limitations. We have a greater faculty for, for reasoning and a greater sense of I-ness that i that I exist as an individual. And we have a sense that we could fly into the skies higher higher than the bird. So we make a plane and we fly in the sky and we make a submarine and go to the bottom of the ocean. And, and the fact is, soul can live anywhere, in anything. It's not restrained by really by material existence. But our identification with matter is such that we feel confined with, with our self is coming out. That's why we feel this. It's a rising, so to speak. It's it's, we're on parole. Human life is like parole in the karmic, you know, prison. You're out. You've got some room here. You can do things voluntarily now. Your life is just not the repercussions of what you did wrong in your human life that put you in other species. Now you've come to human life. Now you can. You have a chance to. You have a chance to do things voluntarily. You have the chance to really consciously give and and, and grow. Or you can, you know, abuse the responsibility. And there are consequences for that. We see that everywhere. There's life everywhere. That means there are consequences. Why one's in one body one's in another body? These are these are consequences. So use the human life. It has freedom. What, what, what is this life giving us the opportunity to do? I say it's giving us opportunity to give. That's what it's doing. To love. I don't say we well, are not humans just because we can reason. But because we can love. We can give. And that's beyond reason. You know, you would think if I gave, I would have less. But if you gave, you'd get more. You are more. The more that you are becomes apparent. So this is what human life is for. Yoga and bhakti in particular, that's, that's for honing that skill or that uh, exploring that rahasyum, that secret of life, how to give in a scientific kind of artful way, thoughtfully, systematically, to the center so, yeah, to be somebody... So, Saiyan Bhagwan, yeah, this is Krishna. He's off the throne, so to speak. And he wants that intimacy. So, imagine that, a tiny spark of consciousness that we are and the whole s- source willing to take on a kind of medium-sized form, <laughs> if you will, for Leela, and then we can enter that and participate. I mean... How powerful is bhakti? Then think, you can get the attention of Bhagwan, like take him off his throne, practically. It's incredible the power of bhakti. So actually, in our tradition, bhakti takes the supreme position, not Krishna. Therefore, we would Jai Radhe, Jai Radhe. Radhe is the personification of the highest bhakti, and and she is the pinnacle to which Krishna is drawn, and the jivas us are drawn. It's his meeting point. The meeting point is Radha, not bhakti. So we're Shaktas, not Bhaktis. We're worshipping the Shakti, but we're super shaktas, something like that. <laughs> so these are some thoughts anyway to answer your question. What's the time now? Twenty to ten. So any any other question? Any good advice for us or whatever? We're all in this together. It's a conversation. I know you ask, I answer, you answer, I might ask too. So, revelation is a dialogue, yeah. Any particular significance why Krishna was born in the (laughs) Kriya? Well, I could get a lot of symbolism from that, I suppose. (laughs) Mm I never thought about it that way, but I suppose you could think about it in terms of. Well, in the context of the Leela, I suppose for concealing his appearance, given that he was predicted and destined to to be the the fatal enemy of the of the king. So I don't know. I never thought about that. <laughs> Krishna was born in a prison. That's that's part of the truth. There was an omen, and. Uh, his mother-to-be and father on their wedding day were in a procession and then an omen came from the sky that the that Kamsa, who um, uh, the Devaki was related to, would be, uh, who is a very, kind of personifies exploitation and to the extreme and so forth. That he would be killed by the eighth son of Devaki, so that was the prophecy. So right in the middle of the wedding ceremony, he decided to kill his, what is his uh, Sist- sister, Devaki. This is the kind of guy he was. <laughs> and so then Vasudev reasoned with him, look, that's not a good idea, and uh, it would be unbecoming. And uh, I tell you what, you know, spare her life, and every child we have will deliver to you, so you'll be safe. So. Said okay, and then he, but then he still wasn't satisfied, so he put them in a the prison, locked them up, and every child who was born. They brought to him, and this is the leela. Then so then the eighth child was Krishna, but when Krishna was born in the prison house, this is the leela that then he um, he's not really the son of Devaki. This is very esoteric, of course, but he's a particular. We talked about Bhagwan, right? That Krishna God, when he wants to be relaxed and by himself. So a particular manifestation of Krishna was born in the in the prison. He appeared with four arms, and in a mystic way, and so forth in the prison. And then all the guards were put to sleep, and all the the chains shackling Basudev, his father, were relaxed. It's described in the Bhagavata, the the conception, the Vasudev conception, it means pure consciousness, manifest in the heart of Vasudev, which is the name of his father, and it transferred to the heart of Devaki. That's what we call initiation, diksha. And it manifested in her heart, and then Krishna made his appearance. But she didn't go through any labor pains or anything like that, and he appeared four-handed, and he was ornamented. And nobody's born with ornaments on And, and uh and so forth and effulgence the and they put all the guards to sleep and then he told Vasudeva in the context of little here take me and bring me across the river and take me to the village and hide me there so Vasudeva went across the river meanwhile in the village Krishna was actually being born this is his real home the pastoral Brindaban this is where he's completely himself where the people don't think of him as God at all. He doesn't appear with in a four handed form there with any fancy ornaments and he's, he's they think they have this called mamata, it's a kind of pray, and they think he's ours. We're he's one of us. We're village people, he's a village they actually think like this in the leave the drama and they're so absorbed in it. And Krishna thinks that too. This is what I really am. That other thing is kind of like a I have a sense I'm a God but no I'm not. I'm the son of Yashoda. <laughs> this is where I really feel at home this is where my ecstasy actually is being shared in the way I want it and that's a conscious thought but once it happens it's lost the ecstasy is there so so she he's actually born there anyway so the baby was brought and twins came from Yashoda Krishna yeah, son and the nursemaid said a son is born and Yashoda said ah she passed out and, and then uh, and everyone left and the, and the, but a daughter came as well, and so then that manifestation of Krishna that has some aishvarya, some godliness to him, that makes him kind of worshipable rather than someone you'll slap on the back as a friend kind of manifestation, that merged into the body of Nandananda Krishna, Nandan Krishna, where he came, where he came from for a particular purpose, and then Vasudeva had brought the child, placed the son down and saw the daughter and thought, oh, you given giving birth to a daughter. So he took the daughter. And so then it was thought that the king will see that the eighth child wasn't a son, was a daughter. He has nothing to fear from the daughter. Meanwhile, my son is safe there, and so forth, it was thought. And the daughter, that's one of the shaktis of Krishna, Yogamaya, who makes all these arrangements in the lila, like sets the props up and so forth. So it goes on and what not but Krishna in a real sense is the son of Yashoda we find in her more vatsalya more prem than in Devaki Devaki admits that at Kurukshetra when they meet with Krishna again she says oh you're his real mother Yashoda you have more vatsalya more prem so by the law of love Krishna is more the son of, of Yashoda and then Devaki but Yashoda means who gives fame so it's more famous that Krishna is the son of Devaki. She said, You have the fame of being the mother. I want him as my real son. The world can all say Devaki Nandan Krishna. That's being celebrated. Devaki Nandan Krishna the son of Devaki, who gives joy to Devaki it means. And he did in a particular manifestation, but in his fullest manifestation, which means the manifestation that most appears most needy and most most simple and most human like and, and so forth. And that is in Braj. Hmm? That is the son of the so, so I don't think about that prison idea. But that he was born in the prison, so to speak, kind of. It means good things can come out of small places, I guess, or constrained. Just like Chaitanya who lived in a small room, eight by eight, with no windows made of stone, but such a big idea he had. His, his love was for Krishna was so extraordinary, so much bhava, and pray him overflowing from him, and he would, in oblivious to external conditions, he would rub his head against the wall, and and the devotees to protect him they would lock him in at night, in the room. But in ecstasy, he would melt, come out underneath the door. That's all they could. Somehow they found him out on the beach, wandering, falling in the ocean, caught one night in a fisherman's net, and the fisherman said, "I've caught a ghost. I don't know what's happened to me." I'm in ecstasy and the, and the boys, let me see that ghost they find, that is Chaitanya and he was glowing in ecstasy and you know, and, and then they, they chanted Hare Krishna and then he came back to external consciousness how he got out of the stone room they had it all locked they couldn't figure out so they just reasoned in ecstasy he just must have melted and gone under the door and, uh, and these are true stories <laughs> it's all recorded in Chaitanya Charitamrita, some 500 years ago this is the, the avatar of Krishna for the for the yoga, Radha and Krishna combined. Chaitanya is Krishna. In his most esoteric moments, uh, most, he, when Krishna's having an extra existential crisis, he sees Radha's love for him, the, the, this, the measure of it, and he thinks, "I thought I was the transcendental cupid, you know, the, 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 the connoisseur of love, that tastes that the tastes all types of love. I, I'm actually personified love, personified." And I, I'm sharing all kinds of love. I know more about love than anyone, but Radha's love for me exceeds anything that I've experienced. So I have a desire to taste her love, to have her perspective. And her perspective is the devotee's perspective. So Krishna has an existential crisis, so to speak. And then suddenly he starts to take on her complexion, which is golden, and her disposition and so forth. So this is the manifestation of Chaitanya. He's Krishna... Krishna but he's in a golden form, and in her complexion it means that he Krishna takes the position of the highest devotee to experience himself from the perspective of the devotee, which is more relishable than from his perspective so again the 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 glory of bhakti, something like that <laughs> it's uh it's a very esoteric idea I mean every religion, so to speak says. God is the most worshipable object. And we're talking about the worshipable object of God. That's a little, very, kind of turns the religious world on its head. So, anything else? Yes. You mentioned uh, a few times about die now or die to live. And uh, contemporary, there's an issue with people have more of a focus on the afterlife and not valuing the life they have, you know, the suicide missions and whatnot. And I just, I wondered what you would say needs to die, because you also mentioned that we also want to be somebody. So we have some, there's ego, we also want to all exist as a unit. So what would you say needs to die and what do we need to nurture to live? Well, first of all, I say we want to be something. I was talking about it in a, in a negative way in that we want to be somebody and so we try to acquire and and uh, take a central position. But even Bhagwan doesn't like the central position. that much. That's not the most desirable position. The position is, is more to be oriented towards giving to the so and he takes the position of a devotee to experience that. But otherwise, we, we do be, I mean, we are, <laughs> we do exist. We have no experience of not existing. Anyone have experience of not existing? So why should we think that we don't? Our, if, we, if we experience is the ultimate and we base our life more on experience than on theory. The theory is that we won't, and it might look like we don't at some point, other, or my, people might tell us we didn't at a certain point, try to give us various proofs through reasoning and and so forth, but our experience is different. Our experience is we've always existed. So, anyway, we're real. We do exist. That's a fact. And as a unit of consciousness. So that, we have to die to that which, which appears to be subject to death. And that is an identity that's fostered by attachment. So we have to kind of Kill our attachments, and the best way to do that, in my opinion, is to become attached to uh, to Krishna. Mm. That's a positive way. The best defense is a good offense, as I said before. So, this idea of bhakti. So it's a death of, of we you know we are materially speaking our attachments. That's what we are. We are our desires. We're a mother because we desire to have you know children. For example, we're whatever. We're, you know, a Marlboro man, because we desire. you know, that guy looks good on his horse, you know? <laughs> and, um, and, you know. This is how they market things, right? This is, you know, you come to the automobile store, and that's you, isn't it? Isn't that, isn't that you? And it used to be in the 50s. The guy would bow his horn. And it's, it's me, it's me. I you mean, know, they still do that to some extent, I suppose. So, so the, 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 we have a certain psychology, and then certain desires and attachments, and so we are, you know, a hummer, you know, uh, like our governor here, uh, or you know, whatever we are. Our attachments, our desires, and that doesn't mean just gross desires for for a car or or a certain set of clothes or whatnot, but you know, attachments are deeply rooted and so we search it out on all of it. that's our identity it's arriving from that our desires, our attachments so to kind of see what those attachments are at their root to see the naked form of material desire it's not that pretty it's dressed up to look otherwise but it's not, it's not very beautiful because the naked form of material desire exposes us as a taker not as a giver and so it's it's kind of unbecoming. So when you see it like that, then you, you go, yeah, I mean, it's not so good. <laughs> so beautiful. But there is something beautiful about us, and that will live, that will thrive, when unencumbered by this, you know, uncovered from this false uh, identity of being a taker, and and, and and so on. So we have to die to the killing tendency within us. To live in this world, materially speaking, let's face it, you know, Darwin wasn't wrong. The Bhagavatam says the same thing and to an extent. Jiva o Jiva jivanam. It says, one living being is food for another. As much as you feel that you're being hunted, you're hunting also. Look in one direction, you're the hunter. Look in the other direction, you're being hunted. That's the material um, reality. So um, we are being devoured. Our material identity is being, it can't endure. So we should acknowledge that. Stop trying to foster it. Go in another direction. Let go of that. It's losing cause. We're on death row, <laughs> as far as that you know, identity is concerned. I mean, what could speak more loudly to you? The sun rises every day. What does it say? It says, time's running out. <laughs> That's what it says. Days are passing. Time is, this is how the sun speaks to us poetically. Hey, you can't keep that. <laughs> you can't keep doing that. Every day, and it's such a loud way. We don't listen at all to the world. The sun is saying, Ayurharati And So, with the rising and the setting of the sun, it's saying to us, Ayur harati. Ayur, like Ayurved, life. Harati means take away. Hmm. I'm taking away your life, you fool. You're you're just pushing after something you can't keep. You're pursuing sandcastles only. That's it's, it. You can't, can't you understand? So the sun's saying to us like this. Bhagavatam speaks like this poetically. vai pum mm. Then it says something else. But one who's utamashloka vartaya, who's always singing the poetry about Krishna, that person was described by transcendental poetry. That person won't die. It says, Ayyurati, no, not for him. Except Tasarteya nitya Uttama Sloka Vartaya. After all, what is this singing, Hare Krishna? For example, Govinda Jai jai? What is it? It's that antithesis of your egoic self. You're singing somebody else's name instead of your own. Hmm? <laughs> jai Govinda, Jai Govinda, Jai Gopal. If that won't kill your ego, then what you know, what will? Hmm? <laughs> Something like that. That's the death, and it's you know that has to. You have to. You have to take the knife yourself. I'll give you the knife, but you have to. Yeah, you have to kill that. You have to. uh, We can encourage you to. It's 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 courageous. uh, You know. Call, no doubt. Chidanand Mahaprabhu, he said a nice thing. He said. He said, if I could have attained Krishna, Prima, by dying, how much people value their life and we want to protect our lives and so forth. And, and we're conscientious about that and appropriately so, you know, to an extent, obviously. Uh, so, But he said, if I could have attained Krishna by dying, I would have died a thousand times without thinking. Of, that's such a small thing. That's just, but, but, but the price is not that cheap for praying. You have to kill your ego. That won't, You can die a thousand times and that thing will still go on. That's what's keeping the, that life's going, that ego. It's keeping keeping the whole show going. So what is death? It's a, it's a small thing, material death, in comparison to this. And This is the price to pay. Yeah. But anyway, this is a friendly way, a happy way to do it. So... All right, we've been a very patient audience and some of you have been here for a week. So this is the end of the program. We'll have some prashad and then we take some rest and then we'll start a little half-day program in, in the morning. And um, that'll be followed by a big, big feast. So uh, just a little something to so don't go to bed on an empty stomach tonight. Hare Krishna. Sri Krishna Janmasthami Mahamud Svati Ti Jai. Bhoul Bhaktivinoda Thi Jai. Bhoul Premanande.